Um, my name's John Bradbury. I'm from the People Experience team here in the EMA. And particularly in these episodes, we're looking at what we've coined the phrase, the dynamic workplace. In other words, all those things that organizations are doing that perhaps came out of COVID that are about hybrid working, remote working, flexible working, four day work week. And just really thinking about those and thinking about the challenges that they, they make for employers. I'm really pleased that today um, I've, got, I've got here with me Ian McGibbon. Ian is the Managing Director of Farrow Jameson um, and has worked in the recruitment field for over 20 years here, here in New Zealand. And um, I really would like to talk to Ian today about the impact this has had <coughs> on the recruitment market. Um, so, but, but before we get into any questions, I'd just really like Ian to introduce himself. <laughs> Thanks, John. Appreciate the introduction. Over 20 years in recruitment, yes, that's a bit sad, isn't it? Um, so we're an executive um, search and recruitment company, mm -hmm. and um, we've been operating in Auckland and Christchurch and doing some international work for, actually, the company's been going for nearly 40 years. And obviously, in that time, because I'm old, I've seen quite a few cycles. And I guess what we want to talk about today is some of those cycles and where this might be in relation to some of those about trends and what the effect might be on candidate behaviour. Absolutely. You, you, you've got it, Ian. And, um, you know, I'm relying on you to, I suppose, be a sort of fund of information about this oh. because of the <laughs> range of different roles that, that yeah. you recruit for um, and to be able to help us. Yeah, definitely in terms of our, our employers thinking about those trends and really taking a sort of long term view of them, as well as a sort of the immediate view about what's happening right now. Um, so I guess maybe before I ask specific questions around hybrid and the dynamic workplace, just give me a sense of what's what's happening in terms of recruitment at the moment. Chaos is probably the easiest way to describe it. Um, so what, what's the macro trend? So we're in a situation where um, the borders shut. So no new uh, talent into the market. And then people started leaving. Now, the, the majority of the people leaving up until now uh, has been people on work visas and, and not New Zealand citizens. So I think before the lockdown, the, there was around 25,000 jobs on SEEK, the job board. The low point during the lockdown was 5,000 jobs. And I think we're currently at about 32,000. So the economy bounced back more than people thought. So what's happened as an overall trend is people, when the lockdown happened, dropped some of their workforce, lowered costs, bit frightened what would happen, turned out not to be as bad as they thought, so the top line held up. Now the number of employees have got are working harder to sustain because there's fewer of them. So everyone's a bit stretched. Now we're in the next phase where still no new people in the market. People now thinking, is there going to be a recession, a slowdown, a hard landing? No one, no one actually knows. Uh, borders still not open. And now, between now and Christmas, a very strong likelihood that we'll see um, a, a move of the, the younger, the 25 to 32-year-olds, exit and do the OE that they missed out on, do their travel, etc., because the rest of the world's opened up. So the bad news is it's going to get worse because the borders still haven't opened up. I mean, we're in an immigration reset, but no one quite knows what that means. But the reality is no new talent in the market, effectively. So 
it's a washing machine. And in the words of somebody who said it far better than I, uh, the war for talent is over and the candidates won. So um, that's the driver at the moment. The candidates are driving the, the recruitment and search process and they are in control of it. Okay, thanks very much. I mean, that's a pretty pessimistic picture that you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're painting there. Um, but I really take that analogy of a, a washing machine um, in terms of it's it's the talent that's within the market at the moment that's that's moving around the market Correct. rather than any new talent in, in entering it, um, and that really I think helps us to get that real fix on uh, for organisations for employers thinking about what do we need to do in terms of in terms of recruiting people. Yeah, I, th I think the comment I'd make to um, employers at the moment is that uh, it, it is very, very hard to go to market and find the talent that you want at the level you want. So be aware that A, you might not find it. B, uh, it might take you an awful lot longer to find it than you thought. Like if you think you'll find someone in a month or two, it might take you six months or more to find it. And C, be aware that it's going to cost you more than you thought. So you're going to go to market and import inflation in effect because the candidate expectation has gone up. And then be aware of what that might mean to your current workforce in terms of relativity, in terms of what's going on there. So um, the, I guess the number one piece of advice at the moment is hang on to your good people and treat them well, for goodness sake. I mean, you wouldn't think you'd need to say that. but um, but it is a lot of people have been stretched. They've, they've really uh, they've done it pretty tough in the last couple of years. It's been hard work. It's been people working long hours, and 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 it, there's a level of stress that I think is there. That that is, you see it when people overreact. And you think that was a bit weird. How how did they react to that? And you realise that actually just below below the surface, there's a level of inbuilt stress that's in there, and it doesn't take much for that to come out. Um, so be aware of your own workforce before you start thinking about going out and adding to it, be my advice. That's a, that's a really interesting perspective and certainly one that I find in my conversations with uh, recruitment managers and HR managers, we start off talking about um, the challenge of recruiting and we end up talking about what could we do to best retain people. Mm. Um, and what I'm, what I'm seeing emerge in so many surveys now is um, recruitment and retention landing on sort of three key things, one of which you've mentioned already, which is really around pay and the sort of total rewards package that ind individuals get. Mm -hmm. The other is about something about career development, skills development, learning and development. These are things that people look for when they're looking to move, but value when they're in an employer. And the third thing is, is the piece that this series is sort of focusing on, which is around what's the possibilities for hybrid working, flexible working, remote working with the particular job. What sort of things are you noticing from employers around the sort of offering that they have and the way they approach um, perhaps the candidate demand for um, hybrid working or flexible working? Sure. Um, just on the second point about skilled and learning and development, I, I think it's the analogy I use is that um, I say younger candidate because everybody's a younger candidate to me, but um, but younger people, I think quite rightly, tend to approach um, companies um, with with a, a sack, and they're saying, 
fill my sack with learning and experience and guidance and training and whatever. And, and, and as long as you keep putting things in that sack, they're fine. You stop putting things in that sack and they go, hmm, I might just close that up and go and open it somewhere else where someone else is prepared to fill me up in terms of actually grow me and do whatever. So um, extracting value, if you think about it, is, is out of people is not about taking something. It's about giving something so that you get something back. Now, sometimes people just say that's money. It's not. It's about the whole experience of growth and, and the environment that you've created. And I want to work at this place because it's a great culture. And one of the things around that is flexibility of work. So they've, two things have happened. Employers have recognized that actually people on the whole are pretty trustworthy. And if they give them a chance to do it at home, they'll do it and they actually will work. Now, for some people, that was a big learning experience. They actually didn't trust people innately. Um, and candidates have figured out that actually I can enjoy my life more. So my son, who's works from home, I think two days a week, says, this is great. I go and put on a load of washing, then come back and do my work, and then go and hang out my washing, and then go and do some more work, et cetera. And I've got more time at the weekend when I used to do what he called admin, which was being a tidy human, I think. Um, so. His work-life balance has improved in his point of view because his weekends are now around enjoyment and leisure, et cetera, as opposed to just getting stuff done. So we're saying, we're seeing, I mean, people, one of the first questions I'll ask when they look at a role is saying, what's the attitude to flexible work? Can I work um, a day, two days from home? At three days, they know they're pushing it. It's generally a three and two but they're looking for that flexibility. And if the company is saying, no, we demand that everyone works in the office, and I hear a few who are trying to move back to that model, then people are going, mm, I'm not so sure. I'm over commuting. I'm not going to do an hour in the car every day again. Uh, so I'm not, I, I believe in the short term there's been a shift whether that will stay, I'm not sure. We have short memories. Um, and so we can forget things and then suddenly we'll be back to commuting again. But certainly right here and right now, if you are not offering some flexible work in terms of their ability to work from home, work remotely, et cetera, you've got a problem. You'll have difficulty attracting some quality people. Thanks. There's some really interesting perspectives there. I like the like the analogy of filling your sack in terms of the career development mm. skills. I think that's a really useful uh, analogy to make for for people to think of, think of, for employers to think about that. Um, and I think on this sort of flexible working, what I'm hearing there is you're definitely finding in the market that's what candidates are interested in, and and that would sort of reinforce what I've heard from other other people that this is a very common question from candidates. Um, I'm interested in, have you had to navigate that piece where there's the, the candidate demand and the organisation perhaps resisting moving to what the candidates want? Yeah, there's an inbuilt, uh, look, again, you know, over a number of years, you watch things in candidates and clients and cycles and they never move at the same time. One's always ahead of the others. So at the moment, the, the candidates are ahead of the cycle and they're driving it. So clients are playing catch up. And they're playing catch up in terms of the dollars they need to offer, the opportunities for advancement they need to offer, the sign-on bonuses they need to offer. There is something we haven't seen for you know, many a year. 
uh, retention bonuses or something that's in there, and also um, the ability for that flexibility. And so a client, we, we right at the start of a process when they say, you know, we like you to help us find somebody we push very hard on those sort of things how are you going to approach if someone asks these sorts of questions because the reality is we don't want to get all the way down to a process we want to offer someone a job and everyone digs their toes in candidates and clients um, and and one of the, the things that we're finding at the moment is during a it is so dynamic out there that during a process candidate demands can shift from when they started to when they ended by the time you get to an offer point, oh, I've been doing a bit of ringing around it. Oh, I think I'm actually worth another 15000 or whatever. And you, where did that come from? Um, and the answer is I've had a few phone calls. People have been ringing them. And so you've, you, you've got to be really on demand. You have to listen to what they are saying. It doesn't mean you have to give in to all of their demands, but you do have to have a balanced view to say, what are we really offering that is attractive? And is this the right person? I, I have a personal view that if someone comes for a buck, they'll go for a buck. So if if the money's the only attractor, that's a problem because yeah. the next person who comes and waves a dollar in front of them, they'll go. Um, so it's a package. And, and work flexibility fits right in the middle of that package where it really didn't two years ago. Thanks. That's really interesting. So it sounds like your work would almost be more demanding at the moment with more need to manage candidate expectations yep. and keeping in touch with them and at the same time managing and educating employers around what's going on in, in terms of the market. Yeah, yeah it's it's a dance. Yes. And um, and it's it's a dance where uh, you, you, can't, you can't be sure that it will always work. Uh, th there's always surprises. And, and I think the, the thing you have to uh, most employers will start with a, a, an idea that says, look, uh, someone's resigned, I would like to replace that person, and this is the salary range. And you and I both know that when they mention a range, what they're actually talking about is the dollar at the bottom of the range, not the dollar at the top of the range. And if I said to a candidate, oh, there's a job at such and such a company and the range is this, I know the candidate's hearing the top of the range and not the bottom of the range. So from the very start, you're managing expectations. But we, we're much, well, I don't know that tougher is the right word, but we're much more definite with clients around saying, be aware that going to a market in that salary range, I'm telling you now, you'll have to give up one of the four things you said were absolutely essential because you will not get all of them. So you're setting an expectation that someone might be less experience than they really wanted, but still have a lot of potential. Because if you won't shift on the salary, you'll have to shift on something else. And so what's it going to be? And if you're trying to, or you may have experience of this actually, trying to shift uh, an employer's perspective on what they might need to offer in terms of flexible working arrangements, what, what sort of thing, arguments or case has sort of helped to make that to, to an employer, to convince them that maybe they should be a little bit more flexible in working hours or hybrid working? What, what convinces employers to do that? Um, I, th I think the argument's been made because lockdown happened. Yeah, yeah. And so um, the, I know law firms, for instance, who were convinced that actually people wouldn't work the same hours at home. And, and there's the absolute easy example to prove. They work on billable hours. If you don't 
billet, you, you it's completely transparent. And guess what? They could still do all the billable hours remotely. So there was no argument anymore for them because the evidence was in. And so the lockdown has been... I had someone describe um, globally, they're talking about the lockdown, hasn't changed things as much as it accelerated the change that is already starting to occur and compressed it. So we've probably seen a decade shift happen in two years. And I personally think it, it won't go back. There's some who still want it to go back, um, but, but I don't think it will. And uh, we've proven that you can be effective remotely. I think we've also proven that culture is very hard to retain when everybody's working remotely. So there's a very strong argument. I know some companies in America are saying, we're going to go full remote, and, and it'll be interesting to watch. I, I personally believe mentoring and culture are incredibly difficult to do remotely. Mentoring a, um, a person when you're there, you banter, you answer a quick question, you don't make a Zoom call to answer the question, um, is, go is a problem. And, and I think you know, the way that this has to work is that there must be a an element of collaborative time, and it's not online. It's actually human time where it is a coffee and someone says, look, I've been thinking about this and they want to banter about it. And the reality is you banter face-to-face -face more than you do online. And so we have to be in a situation where I think the clients are valid in saying we need some together time. The question is how much? Yes, yeah. I think that's really interesting because I think that's a broader perspective. You bring in a number of ways there um, about thinking about, you know, the culture in the organization, coaching of the organization, mentoring things that perhaps organizations want to retain and will get best value from when they are face to face. Um, I was talking to an HR manager the other day who uh, was talking about how the organization had moved back into the workplace largely. And um, they said, look, some of the benefits of this are um, it's kind of informal. Literally, just before this conversation, I, I was making myself a coffee and the finance director walked in. Uh, we had a five minute conversation and sorted something out. Mm. And um, and they said, you know, um, a few months ago, we'd have had to set up a Teams meeting for this, which would have cancelled a few times, and then we'd have booked half an hour for it. But five minutes of uh, what, what they actually called accidental intimacy uh, over, a, <laughs> over a coffee got, got something, like something resolved. So I think you're right around, um, you know, educating um, your, your, your clients around, you know, some of, the, some of the things that they may want to consider retaining in a more hybrid sort of world. Um, I'm also really interested in that perspective that you brought about, um, you know, we've seen what might typically take a decade to change mm. ha happen in two years. Um, and um, I, I'm interested to get your view on, has, has there been another time where there's been such an acceleration of, of trends like this? And what sort of happened then, would you say? Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a good point. I think um, I remember the GFC when uh, things stopped. and when they started again, there was a belief, for instance, uh, we, we were involved with executive um, contracting. So, you know, hiring executives for shorter term. And I believed coming out of the GFC, people would be, they'd been hurt, they'd be very cautious, and therefore they would hire 
um, contractors for a shorter term rather than a permanent employee and have that cost. Um, and it's not easy to remove that cost. Not what happened. People went straight back into permanent employment. Boom, and away it came again. So I, I think we react to um, dramatic change more dramatically than we do to uh, slower change. So we, we, if you think about that, it's like a human thing. We react to the speed of the change with speedy change. Yes. <laughs> and so um, what's happening is the time frame for a number of these um, events has shortened up and it's created uh, an intensity to, to try and change things quickly. Now, if we think about our situation in terms of candidates, we've got the exact opposite problem. We're trying to do something more quickly than we did before with less candidates and harder to get. So our natural process is now getting longer. Yikes. So now we're trying to find people in a short time frame saying to clients, for goodness sake, make the offer because your shortlist will disappear. It will literally evaporate on you if you don't move on that. But sometimes it might take us three months or more to get another shortlist together. And so we've got a lot of conflicting tensions at the moment where we've got a desire to move very quickly. Um, but the reality is we're being forced because of the lack of talent to actually keep going back to market, to keep making phone calls, to keep encouraging people into a process. And it's not easy. You know, the, the washing machine we talked about, you know, we're spinning it. We're on the spin cycle at the moment, it feels like. Great, good. Yes, I think I think it's interesting. The um, some of the anecdotes I hear about uh, hmm. things that recruitment recruiters are doing internal, external. Um, you know, to go back to the hybrid piece again, I I heard uh, in Australia a recruit a, a sourcing consultant say that their key tactic at the moment was they looked for organisations that said everyone back to work for five days <laughs> and they targeted those people in those organisations um, because they recognised the value that pe people were putting. Um, but, you know, more seriously, you know, you've sort of reflected back on trends and made that analogy to the GFC. You know, if we were sitting here in 10 years' time and, and looking back, what, what do you think it would be like by then? What are the trends that are happening now that we, you really think are going to stay? Um, so I think, I think we're going to take remote working to another level. So um, at the moment, that means um, working for, from home for your New Zealand employer. And what we're starting to see, and I'm sure it's going to accelerate, is, is working from home for an overseas employer. And so if the New Zealand uh, workforce continues on a, a pathway of increased uh, training and increased uh, level of education and increased technical knowledge, etc., then you won't necessarily have to go overseas to actually go and get some of the experience that you can do it here remotely. Now, that's going to cause some changes to your lifestyle. So working in London, not easy um, <laughs> because you're up at nine o'clock at night here working until two in the morning. But um, there's going to be aspects of it. And I was talking to someone um, down in Wanaka the other day. And as you walk around Wanaka in Queenstown, three years ago, it was full of you know, young people out there having ski holidays or whatever. Now it's full of people working remotely from Wanaka in Queenstown. You know, they've got good fibre, they've got mostly flights that go in and out at the on time. And so 
that's accelerating already. So they're saying, oh, I've got a happy lifestyle. Oh, and guess what? I was talking to one guy who's um, developing property in Spain and he lives in Monaco. But he just logs on each night, works on his property, you know, talks to the contractors, etc. His video call, they show him videos of what's going on during the day, all being done remotely. So that's happening now, but it's going to accelerate. So we're already seeing some American companies move on New Zealand talent because, frankly, it's cheap compared to what they have to pay. But instead of taking it back to America, letting the talent stay here and just work remotely. That's really interesting. Okay, so we're going to see this this world of work literally become the world of work, world of work. As, as it were. I think well, just to put that in context, um, we talk about New Zealand and, and no new people. But if you think about it in the global, I think it's 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 been a – we talk about global supply chain and a clag of boats that can't get anywhere. But the same thing's happened to labour. Labour globally moved. Yeah. And no one – then the music stopped and labour didn't move. So we don't have – Nurse, nurses or social um, assistance people, we don't have other, and we were rec didn't recognise that actually this was just this moving workforce that was going around the world all the time, and it's suddenly not moving. And so exactly the supply chain issues of getting your 20-foot container somewhere are happening in labour, or in talent, or whatever you want to call it. And it's taking a while for all those wheels to start moving globally, let alone New Zealand. And we sort of stuck ourselves out on the side by actually saying we're going to do this reset, whatever that means. Okay, so I mean that sort of brings me to the area of considering, you know, in your what's your experience around what's been different in in different sort of industry verticals? Mm. Yeah, I think um, I mean IT is red hot at the moment globally um, and in New Zealand. I mean, poor poor IT companies are, are having to pay. Uh, extraordinary sums of money at the top end and then at the bottom end you're seeing and I, I, I mean bottom only in the, the wage rate is that you're seeing uh, the, the stopping of cheap labour if you want to get apples picked or, or something which was traditionally um, imported cheap labour that's probably not going to happen for you in, in the future so you better start thinking about robotics and productivity and those sorts of issues because you're not going to have access to those sorts of um, labour pools that you had before, so we're we're top and bottom. We're getting um, this sort of compression of of saying these sort of trends are happening very fast and they're impacting on you, Mister Manufacturer in South Auckland with forty employees who've been there for twenty years, and suddenly wake up and go, "Do you realise that someone else is starting up down the road? And they're going to offer you fifty percent increase in salary." So your safe working environment might look less safe. I'd be very, very cautious about what you're looking at in your own workforce. Very interesting. So, so we have we have these trends. We we have people out there in organisations in in South Auckland, for example, looking at the moment to say, well, how how can I best recruit people, and what part does this whole area of what we're saying, the dynamic workplace, what part does that play in this? What, what would your advice be for um, somebody in an, an HR manager in an organisation um, to say about um, their remote working sort of policy? Um, so num number one, you have to have one. <laughs> so have a remote working policy is always a good place to start. Uh, but be aware what you want out of that. 
Um, so yes, you are prepared to uh, accommodate remote work, and but what does that mean in in terms of making sure that uh, that people aren't just doing emails at nine o'clock at night? Um, set an expectation about what remote work actually means. Uh, we actually just want you to work from home for those hours. It doesn't mean gee, we've given you remote work, so we want you to actually work late in the night or when the kids go to sleep or something else. So be aware of what you're asking them to do and be clear about the expectations. But trust people. You know, the, one of the things that, that's come out of this, as I mentioned before, is the fact that actually most people want to actually work and get a job done and be aware of it. But there's also a second demand in that uh, while there's a lot of flexibility, there's also quite a lot of push for a four-day week or less hours and how can I manage those? And if I can get it done in four, is that okay? And those sorts of things. So be open. Be open. I think you've got to be listening to what candidates are asking you is or telling you is important because if you're not, you're going to limit your ability to actually attract and hold people. Yeah, okay. So it sounds like we're saying... Be, be open to what's happening in the market, be aware of what's happening in terms of candidate demands, be open to different ways of working, but also the next step is to kind of be planful about it and really think about what's going to serve your business best, both in terms, in the short term, in terms of bringing people into the business and mm. making sure they want to be there, but it also in terms of delivering business results. Yes, what's what's important to them? You know, asking um, what's important, what are the things that are, that are driving for that? And then what can you accommodate? I mean, there are some jobs where you physically need people there to do it. You can't drive a truck remotely. Well, you probably can, but with you know, asking your musk. Um, but um, there are aspects of things where uh, some people are required to come in. So it's there's a fairness in here as well. Yes. Some, some people because of their jobs, have to be in, but they don't really want that commute. And you're saying to the person next door who doesn't physically have to be there, yeah, that's fine, work remotely. So think about fairness right. in the workplace. How are you going to say to someone, look, I really need you to turn up, physically be present, but I'm going to give some flexibility to someone else. Yeah. What does that feel like? Well, it feels like for the person who has to be there, actually, I've got the wrong end of the stick here. And so just be aware of the implication of offering flexibility on your current workforce. Absolutely. Yeah, we've noticed that, um, for example, early on, we were talking to a number of New Zealand retailers and um, so for them, and there was an issue that they were navigating around. Clearly, they needed people back in stores mm. um, and they need people in the warehouse at certain times because and they need deliveries made at certain times. But in terms of their support office or head office staff, they could be more flexible. And there was a real concern about, well, could this uh, build or introduce sort of them and us mm. and how to navigate that in a way that was that felt fair to everybody and that um, didn't lead to uh, perhaps internal division uh, happening. So um, I think I think you're very... But also lead from the front. I saw yes. um, Sanford um, was saying that they, you know, with COVID and with sickness and people down, et cetera, they had their senior management team down processing fish yeah, um, because everyone helping out. So, yeah, fairness, show that you're a servant leader, that you're actually prepared to, to get um, stuck in and help out yourself uh, in terms of what's going on. I think it's, it's really important. People will see it. They'll observe it and say, okay, 
they're trying. This is a fair workplace. So you've got lots of, lots of interesting things then, the sort of breadth of experience that you bring to bear. And I've asked you very much around from the manager's perspective. But but quite frankly, when I'm when I'm talking to you, I'm also kind of sometimes thinking from a point of view of being a candidate at some stage. And, and I'm sure other people out there are thinking with that sort sure. of angle. What, what sort of things do you typically say to candidates at the, at the moment around navigating the market? Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, most candidates uh don't think about their careers enough there's a there's a real benefit at the moment so if i go back a few years far too many uh career trajectory was pretty linear so you think in marketing terms i was a marketing assistant a product manager a senior product manager a marketing manager you could follow that line so if i want a marketing manager i could go back one and get someone who will step up to it so if i want a marketing manager i'm going to get a senior product manager very linear. Now, people's career trajectories are not linear. That they've taken two years out and they've developed an app in a garage, and then they come back into the workforce. They've come out here and they come back in. So that sort of trajectory is is now gone and more chaotic. And so that's a good thing, I think, in terms of flexibility. But just be aware that, for instance, on your LinkedIn profile, what are you talking about about yourself? I mean, most people's LinkedIn profiles are hideous in in that they say, oh, I did this. And it's very prescriptive, but nothing about where you want to go. What are your ambitions? What do you want to do? Because people are looking all the time. You you could expect to be found. Um, so, so be found. Put yourself out there a little bit and just be aware. And I think then you start thinking about the fact of saying, is is my flexibility and approach, what does it mean? What do I want? And so go and talk to somebody about that and make sure that they're aware of what you want to do. So someone wants to, I hate that word, but pivot you know, into project management, but they hadn't done it before, then put up your aspirations. Uh, do those sorts of things about managing your own career. I, I have... Very little tolerance of people who keep saying to me, oh, I was doing this, then I got approached for that job, and then I got approached for this job. So which point did you take control of your career then? The answer is they never did. They just got pulled into jobs. Oh, the company didn't work out. Why not? Well, the answer is you didn't do any due diligence. You didn't look at it because someone rang you and said, here's some more money. Will you take it? And they said, yes. So take ownership. It's your career. Take ownership, but manage it. Like having a job, is fine. Getting another job is actually a job in itself. You actually have to start to put the steps in place. What are you saying about you yourself and your profile and your accomplishments? What are the what are the bag of tricks that I talked about before? What have you been putting in there? So what does this look like now? Wow, there's some really good stuff in here. You're being a bit modest. You've done all these things. So just be aware that if you do those sorts of things, you'll get a phone call and someone will say, Actually, I'm kind of interested in what you've been doing, your profile. Have you thought about looking at another role? Very good, Ian. Thank you for that. So I think sort of messages I'm getting overall from this, really from, from an employee perspective and employer's perspective, is that there's been some dramatic shifts in the last couple of years and we're expecting these to continue, yep. that flexible working, um, the dynamic workplace is, is here to stay. It's, mm -hmm. it's different from January 2020. 
Um, but that's only part of the puzzle. There's pieces that are very much about recognizing about skills and rewards packages as well. But both for the, uh, the employee and employer, there seems to be an overarching message about be being planful and managing what it is that you want to achieve and focusing towards that. Yeah, it, it, diff, definitely. And if you're looking at the likes of the employer, I get employers ringing in a panic saying, we lost somebody. And so where was the succession? Where was the person who was ready to step into the role? And the answer is they've run the organization that they um, manage so lean, there is no succession. Now, that's like just-in-time inventory. Now, you, you start talking to people in the supply chain about just-in-time, they'll laugh at you. So that's a, that's a concept that went out when the lockdown happened. But now, where's your inventory management, et cetera? Now, labor, talent, is an inventory. What's your inventory management? You can't run it on just-in-time anymore. You have to run it on the fact of saying, I have some spare inventory that I can rework and actually build up such that I can actually go through it. Fantastic. So we're back. We're, we're then then to, into the internal labour market as yep. well, and managing yep. that, managing and, that, and what your value proposition is in terms of your existing employers as much as your potential future ones. Absolutely. And yeah. saying goodbye to a good employee who has now outgrown you is sad, but it's not a bad thing yeah. because they're on the next part of their trajectory. And if you treat them well and actually assist them on, guess what they're going to say to people? I had a fabulous time at that company. And when I outgrew it, they saw me on to the next next phase. Be the good employer. Fantastic. So using existing departing employees as ambassadors. Absolutely. Sounds, sounds like. Okay. So because we've covered quite a lot, I feel, in this. And we, we, you know, I really feel like I've been through the washing, washing machine in terms of this. I, I've got my bag that I'm putting my skills in. Uh, I've got uh, a range of changes that are happening, happening in the workplace that we think are going to continue and that certainly we're not going back to January 2020. No. Um, so really, I'd like to thank you very much for coming today. It's been so fascinating hearing your experiences oh. and your thoughts about what's happening now and what, what will happen in the future. Um, and there will be further podcasts in, in this series where we look at other aspects of the dynamic workplace. Um, range of things that Ian has talked about today, we'll pick up and talk about in more detail in those. Um, thank you for listening today. Thank you, Ian. Thanks, John. My pleasure.